This episode of Road Soda is brought to you by... Hi, Percy Mays here with Ultra Screen Clean. You know my brother Billy is dead, but you might not know how he died. Filthy cell phone screen. Ultra Screen Clean is the only filth fighting product that harnesses the cleaning power of Swedish algae. Think there are a lot of germs on a homeless guy's taint? Of course there are. But right now, your cell phone has five times more filth. So if you want to keep using your face as a park bench, have at it. But if you want an ultra clean cell phone and to not die like my brother, Ultra Screen Clean is the answer. My name is David Potter. I tried a lot of different products before this one, and my life totally sucked. But then I came across this one, and I am so happy. I literally cream my slacks on a regular basis. But wait, there's more. If you order now, we will send you an extra month's supply free. Ultra Screen Clean, a Popco brand. Thank you for cracking your 78th Road Soda. I am Isaiah Cooper. With me is Greg McGinnis. Welcome. Today we play with Russian dolls. R.I.P. my friend Brody. And he had a bad quarter, but how about Warren Buffett? He lost $25 billion. Also, the Reverend Speef Narkle himself will be joining us on this episode. Halla Speefaluya. Halla Speefaluya. That's right, guys. If you listen to uh, episode 77, where I told this sort of story about this serendipitous story of running into this website called Speef Narkle, well, just as stated on that episode, I uh, reached out. As much as I could through comments and whatnot in uh, like posting comments on YouTube videos and he reached back out to us and we had him on for an interview and I really hope that you guys to just tie all the knots on this beef narco thing we got to the bottom of it so I hope you guys stick around for that interview at the end uh, also quick shout out to Grant we last episode if you remember asked uh, listeners to guess the song that is the basis for the NBC theme song and Grant correctly guessed it was Detachable Penis by King Missile. Excellent song. By King Missile. And now much more excellent that it is intertwined with our excellent NBC theme song. So here we are, episode 78. What do you got for 78? I got a few. I got, uh, I want you to go back to January 21st, 1989. What are you doing? What am I doing? Swimming. Really good swimmer at that time. In a in a penis. In a sack in, of... Uh, in, a, in a, you know, with a f- couple friends of mine. Couple friends. <laughs> January 21st, 1989 was episode 78 for Charles in Charge. Season 4, episode 4. I enjoyed that show when I was a kid because there was a hot chick in it. Nicole Eggert. You probably don't even know who that is. Is she... She was only in like Skinamax movies, I think, after... I can't think of and, and like a, there was a long hiatus where like I think she's strong just, female role model for you is what I'm is the vibe I'm getting. It was a very important time where I was really getting in touch with myself at a very 
high level. A lot of discovery, and she was your... Uh, she was my guide. She was your guide, if she you She was my guide yeah. to clear the tunnel. She, she cleared the tunnel time and again. I don't get it. That's all right. I'll tell you when you're older. Uh, weird show, though, because the first three seasons, Charles in Charge is Scott Bayo is a nanny for a family, and the first three seasons, they had an entirely different family and all this stuff, same general M.O., but then after the three seasons, they get canceled, they get brought back after a hiatus of like 18 months, and this I just realized, I was like, oh, now I get why it was so weird that you would see one app with this whole different thing going, and then another app with this other whole different thing going, because the whole family was different for the original first three series. They had this old frumpy mother. The the father was there all the time. He was like part of the, the hijinks. And then when they came back, you get Nicole Eggert. So I got much more interested after season four started. And the other sister. And then there was a son. The parents are gone now totally. But there's a grandfather that hangs around to make those kind of, that type of non-sequitur bullshit. And the only people that stayed in it were Scott Baio and his buddy, whose name was Buddy on the show. Famous dude from... Uh, Eight is Enough, big famous show with Dick Van Patten from the 70s. And that guy I looked into it, was nominated for two Razzies, which is the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actor. And I could find almost nothing else about it. And they him. gave it to Dick Van, what was his name? No, Dick Van Patten is a Dick goddamn Van true American and a why great actor. So many, Do not get those Why are there so many Dick Vans? There's a lot of Dick Just Vans. Just a lot of, lot of Dick Vans driving around. It's it almost like there was a conspiracy against that because so many guys were named Dick to a certain point and then when it became... It would be really funny. Dick, and then it would just stop almost immediately. It would be really funny if we added Van after Dick. <laughs> you such a Dick Van, man. Richard Van. Richard Van. Doesn't make any sense. That that makes They'll call him Dick Van. We can't. <laughs> well, he never won the Razzie. He was just nominated, and uh, that is an, an award. It's like an anti-Oscar they run for worst of everything, and so that's that's pretty sucky. He was nominated for worst actor in a year when he made his first two movies, and then he did TV for a long time after. You would totally recognize this guy if you saw him because he's just one of those generic. He's in a bunch of things. Is he, that three-time Razzies winner? Is that exactly? Holy shit. A lot of people, after he's on the screen for a short amount of time, go, is that Buddy from Charles in Charge? And maybe whatever the other thing he did. I'm bigger than Buddy! It's the kid from Eight is Enough. And other than that, they're just like, who is this fucking guy? If he even gets any note at all. The, another show, episode 78. This is even before you were a swimmer. You were not, At this point, you were a eye twinkle in a couple of crazy kids from New Mexico? January 4th, 1981, Chips, California Highway Patrol. We're talking Punch. We're talking John. Episode 4, I'm sorry, Episode 9 of Season 4. Couldn't find the app. It was blocked out in this country. All the other apps, which I think is notable, all the other apps for Chips, some dude is out there like cataloging them and like, he's like, he's, he's like a one-man IMDB focused around Chips. In 2019. Except for 78. I, I hope... just didn't like the direction. <laughs> they had to get a... Uh... <laughs> no, well, this this one particular episode, which is so weird, season four, ep nine, was totally blocked out. Like, not allowed in this country. But just to give you an idea about how shitty of a show it was, one thing I was able to find from the episode before it was Ponch and John had been getting into a fight about Ponch, who was Eric Estrada, John Frank Pontricelli. Uh, was moonlighting at night. They're, they're highway cops, you know, on the, on the mic. You know. Sounds exciting. It, it was a good show at the time. You just said it was a shit show. It is a shit show because he says, uh, John, I feel bad. You've been making so much fun about, uh, of me for moonlighting. 
I wanted to get you a thanks. And he has these females come into the police station like room where all the cops are having their meeting. And there's a big sign that says thanks. And it's got something to do with a stereo. I don't know what. Then it turns into this gift of the Magi thing because he gets up and says, uh, you know, it's funny. I sold my stereo to buy you a gift, Ponch. And then another cop comes up and he's got this big box and it says, um, it's like a stereo, like an automatic turntable, like moves records for you, I guess which I'm sure was high technology in 1981. And then Ponch starts laughing because he says, that's funny because my moonlighting didn't pay me enough. So even with a second job as a California highway patrolman, I still didn't make enough to make ends meet. So I had to sell my stereo. And then they all have a big laugh about it. And I was like, that is so depressing. I got a comb. (laughs) Nice. Isaiah comes out of nowhere with an actual gift of the Magi reference. Very nice. She sold her hair... To buy him a watch. Oh, no. It was like something for his... Drugs. I think it was, yeah. A and, snuff box. And he gave cook. a pint of blood to get drugs. That's right. that's 2019. I didn't, get you any, I didn't get you anything, honey. <laughs> but I'm really high. I don't... Just shut up. Did you bring the drugs? <laughs> uh, so I got a couple of podcasts real quick. Episode 78. So May... Uh, I'm sorry. March 17, 2016. Pep Talks with the Bitter Buddha. That's Eddie Pepitone's podcast. Episode 78 was in March 2016. Uh, it was like a live from South by Southwest thing. Not live, but like it was from South by Southwest. Okay. They were all meeting there. It was pretty good. I had not heard of any of the guys. Drennan Davis, Ron Lynch, Nick Stargu. <gasps> the Nick Stargu? Do you know any of those no, guys? No, fuck no. How about... Uh, <laughs> what are they? What are they, comedians? Someone else had mentioned to me. So it was all right. I, 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 my thing with Eddie Pepitone is I like him as a guest star on podcasts. He was awesome on WTF. He'd come in as the angry man. He'd only have like four minutes, so he could start super hot and only burn down a little bit before his time ran out, and it would it would be great. And then he's just on to the next podcast. Yeah, but when he has to carry the whole thing, he's like, all right, listen, I have an inner life. I can't just be mad. He does ramp up. Have you ever no. listened to it? No, I've never, no. Do you like Eddie Pepitone? Do you know Eddie Pepitone? You know only Eddie. from you explaining that you like him on all these different podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there you go. Episode 78, 2016. Episode 78, February 16, 2015, last podcast on the left. A friend of ours, a friend of yours, I am a, she's a friend of the show, so therefore my friend in that way, Amanda Hurley, recommended Last Podcast on the Left. Didn't really care for it. Have you heard of Last Podcast also, on the Left? Also, yeah, we actually, she, we, we did an interview with her. You guys should, uh, we will have her on the show at, being interviewed a few episodes from now. I think uh, that's going to be great. But that's why you got the idea to... That's what we call a teaser, people. That's what we call a Isaiah teaser. always on. Well, you said, well, it would just, I just didn't, I wanted to give people... A uh, tease, uh, not a tease, but like a basis for why we were talking with Amanda again. Yes, Uh, last podcast on the left, not for me. I didn't really care for it. It was like a horror podcast, but one that is for me. Episode seventy-eight, May twenty-seventh, twenty fifteen. Tim Ferriss, Mega Productivity. The episode was called "How to Build a Large Audience from Scratch." You would like this one. No guest. He usually does two hours plus with a guest. No guest. It was just him. Answering viewer questions or listener questions. Talks about everything. How to fuck your girlfriend longer. How to cook vegan food better. How to digest shit. So how do we grow an audience? That I'm going to talk to you off air because that's super critical. It's like he gave us the magic beans. But it was a good episode. If you had to give it to us in just two words, what would you say? Quality content. Bam. Oh, Who's always on? This guy. This episode of Road Soda is brought to you by Poober. Never again let your bowels be restrained. 
when all the stalls are filled, the doors are locked, or there is a small purchase standing between you and a key. Take out your phone and order a pooper directly to where you are within minutes, eliminating the process of finding a bathroom. Break out of the poo prison and poop freely. If you are new to Poober, take a moment to listen to this gigantic log of amenities. Every Poober truck is over 100 square feet of climate-controlled, luxurious restroom space. Multi-zone climate control, you can preset air, water, and seat temps. Customizable ambient mood lighting. Bose speakers with Dolby noise reduction for that comforting blanket of audio privacy. Or Bluetooth, if you decide you want to partake in a more discreet experience. 5G Wi-Fi to surf the web. And heated toilet seats with Toto bidet washlets. Poober guarantees an environment for you to do your business comparable or better than your home bathroom. Some people even call a pooper directly to their house. Pooper also understands that not everyone sticks the landing every time. That's why every truck comes stocked with complimentary undergarments and pants so you can move on with your day without the hassle or embarrassment of having shit yourself. Pooper is the premier toilet to you service. Forbes magazine calls Poober the greatest innovation in defecation technology in the 21st century. Popular Science magazine said first there was toilet paper, now there's Poober. And Consumer Reports says the $20 monthly Poober premium subscription is the best money you can spend on an asshole. Poober, a Popco brand. In the news, uh, actually, uh, just before we started recording this, I have a post on Craigslist looking for people's uh, secrets to sell I their secrets. I got a, we got a, an email somebody saying, a girl in my second grade class used to eat glue. And that's the secret. And I uh, immediately emailed them back. I said, I don't think that is your secret to sell, my friend. Uh, unless you are, wanna, if, if you're eating glue, it's okay to say, I ate glue. In in uh, middle school, but I guess they didn't want to do that. Um, did you ever eat glue, Greg? Did you ever taste glue? Never even crossed my mind. I know it's a phenomenon, though. So if no you offense had to glue eaters out there, yeah, we don't want to offend the glue eaters. I never sniffed glue either, but that sounds like something more likely that I would do. A lot more fun, yeah. If you had to eat glue, which kind of glue would you eat? Um, I take the fifth. You take the fifth, the fifth kind of glue. I'm not sure what you're. Not interested in glue eating at all. How about you, though? You seem like you're dying to tell me what type of glue would you eat. The kind that you use to repair shoes. Anyway, so uh, Brody Stevens passed away. Are you familiar with who Brody Stevens is? Uh, I've seen him before. I was not familiar with him. I wouldn't have known him by name until you mentioned him. He's definitely the comics comic. And if you go to the comedy store in L.A., the original comedy store, and you go to one of their marathon late night kind of shows, or if you just pop in, he's a regular. He's always going to be there. Uh, He was never somebody. He did a lot of stuff with a lot of comedians. He was popping in and out from shows, uh, uh, like did a lot of walk-on kind of roles. He had this very big personality he was always like his his twitter handle and stuff was my friend brody stevens or stevens brody stevens and he just had this really larger than life personality he was always like super happy go lucky and his shows he never did like two shows that were the same and it always involved like ridiculous stuff of him getting on stage and singing and dancing and bringing people up and crowd work just incredible crowd work and uh, unfortunately he did pass away the other day so what i wanted to do was read a short 
little uh, everyone is in memoriam now of Brody Stevens. So I just wanted to read to you. It was it was a suicide, which is it's sad. Like those guys that like you just described a guy like that's the last guy that would commit suicide. I think it's the first guy. Well, you do, but I think most people think those guys are just like that. But I, I mean, and whenever somebody is so much on all the time, so much in uh, like going, I am. Uh, like this is happy-go-lucky and just always constantly on. That's when there's the most darkness. It's these comedians that are also doing. Everyone, every comedian has darkness, but they talk about it. They go to therapists. They do these kind of things. It's the people that are like constantly on, like your Robin Williams, just constantly. I'm Robin Williams, which like, is kind of constantly. like what you're saying is like it's like a constant battle for them against yeah. the depression. Right. So here's the story, uh, and this was posted by uh, John Roy, and he's a comic. And uh, here's the story. You ready for this? I'm ready. There was a charity show at the Laugh Factory, the charity of a major Hollywood agency. The audience was all agents who were forced to go there by their work on a Tuesday night. Industry crowds are notoriously bad anyway. They watch comedy all day and they're numb to it. Also, these people were here by force and it was a weeknight. Six amazing comics who you have heard of bombed hard one after another. Comics upstairs were whispering, this crowd is impossible. No one can get a laugh here. Side note, important to the story. Agents have a term called hip pocketing, meaning representing someone without really signing them. Brody Steven goes up an hour into the show. Brody goes up to a mix of silence and perfunctory weak claps. He plants his feet, makes direct eye contact with the most bored-looking agent in the front row. He starts fierce. You think, you think I'm intimidated by an industry crowd? Right to the guy who goes, right to that guy, he goes, I hip pocket you! The place erupts. Brody found the exact fault line in the tension of the room. He goes on, I have headshots, 11 by 17. They stand out in a pile. I work in this town. I just booked an extra part in a stadium scene. I generate buzz. <laughs> the agents are howling. The comics upstairs are fidgeting now. So sure they had been that this was a cold room where laughter is impossible. And there's Brody downstairs absolutely killing. Everything they had said before was a comforting lie. And not only did Brody kill, everyone after him did. Brody had found the exact pressure point that would relieve the tension in the audience. He aimed a precision karate chop at it and broke it with the rest of the show. He turned those stuffy agents into a regular crowd there to laugh. He gave the gift to every comic that came after him that night. That's why he was such a master at warming up TV shows. He simply refused to accept that the audience could not be made to laugh and he threw every thought and instinct he had at that problem until it was solved. And after he had cracked it, it stayed solved until the show was over. He hit the funny bone like he was doing acupuncture. He was a true master. He will be greatly missed. Now, you've read excerpts from your diary before, but I think this one, A, reminds me that you did spend that time tagging around with Brody Stevens, and B... Was the Brody most, was the most <laughs> heartfelt I've heard from you. Kudos, my friend. That was that was beautiful. I did not. I wish I could totally take credit for that. 
but it was uh, John Roy. I've never seen Brody do comedy, but um, yeah, man. And I really like that he did that. He really liked that he uh, totally um, killed where others totally failed. Everybody loves those stories. Mm -hmm. That's why you want to be a comic because you're like, I need to be dropped right here where there's laughter sorely needed. That's exactly. cool. So, to brighten it up a little bit, let's talk about Warren Buffett. You had some news. Yes, Warren Buffett, uh, you know, even if you're not someone that's into stocks or whatnot, and I am certainly not into stocks and that type of shit, but he's super famous. The guy's made, he's worth like $85 billion, and he is known, he's called the Oracle of Omaha, because he doesn't fuck up. Part of it is, when he moves on something, people go, that must be a good thing, and money just flows in. So that insulates him now, but... He must have done things a long time ago to get to a spot where that happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this quarter, his his stock is uh, his company is called Berkshire Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a share of Berkshire Hathaway goes for? One hundred and fifty dollars. No, it's like he does it to keep everyone out. He doesn't want a bunch of people getting in and out. I believe one share of it is like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. One hundred and twenty thousand. One hundred twenty thousand per, per share to keep everyone out. Not right. just not just the racial the racial normal racial blocking. He wants everybody out. Unless, he wants everybody out. Unless, unless you have you've got the money. fucking money to play the game. Yeah. Although you could probably buy like .001 shares or whatever. But for the most part, he's just he wants to keep it nice and easy. Uh, but this quarter, he one of his a lot of his companies are like these big food companies. He likes stuff that everybody likes: Dairy Queen, Taco Bell, ketchup, shit like that. He doesn't go <laughs> just after all this, of ketchup. <laughs> just well, I mean, shit. Kraft Heinz, which mm-hmm. a big part of it is the ketchup lost a shit ton of money. And he, when he comes into a company, he doesn't just buy 20 shares and sit on the sidelines. He buys like that ownership level, uh, what do you call it, like where he owns 51%, right. and he can start shit canning people and saying, this is what we're doing. He did it with Geico, government employee insurance company. Uh-huh. No one ever heard shit about them a long time ago. Now that stupid fucking front... And uh, he comes in and goes, I think there's money to be made here. I'm going to buy it at X. Over the next five years, he's at these meetings going... We're going to bring this guy. He doesn't make the ideas. He's not like, he's a fucking old guy that knows money. He's staring at spreadsheets. But he goes, we're going to bring Lucy from here, Chuck from there, my marketing guy from there. What do you get to tell him? You got six months. And then they put it together. Next thing you know, you fucking see a Geico ad when you're taking a shit. It's everywhere. everywhere. And they're making a lot of money. He does all that type of shit. This quarter, $25 billion the guy lost. That's a hit. And he's got to write some of that off. He actually has to sell some of the shit to get out of so it. How do you lose it? Just overall. Just these big companies. Um, Kraft Heinz lost a lot. Apple has been down. Uh, I mean, you can't fault the guy for fucking being with Apple, for fuck's sake. They're like, they just went over a trillion dollars. They were the first trillion first dollar company. trillion dollar company. Now they're way down, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still massively overvalued. We all still have iPhones in our hand. Look around yourself right now. Do you have an Apple product within five feet of you? If not, hit pause. Fucking find it. Where is it? Hit you pause can- your life. You're freaking out. Pause your out. life. Hey, Siri, where's my life? Uh, it's Apple, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo. He doesn't fuck around with little things you never heard of. A lot of big companies had a bad quarter. He lost 25 bill. That's a pretty fucking bad quarter. That's so, a pretty bad quarter. Yeah. Poor, poor Warren. Hopefully he'll rebound. This episode is also brought to you by... Hi, Sammy Mays here with Mega Screen Scrub. My cousin Billy loved to talk on his phone, and that's what killed him. Cell phone grime. 
It should have been his brother Percy, that piece of shit. Mega Screen Scrub is the only grime-fighting product that harnesses the cleaning power of Norwegian algae. Think there are a lot of germs on a hobo's asshole? Of course there are, but right now your cell phone screen has five times more grime. So if you want to keep using your face as a subway seat, have at it. But if you want a mega clean cell phone and to not die like my cousin, Mega Screen Scrub is the answer. My name is David Potter. I tried a lot of different products before this one, and my life totally sucked. But then I came across this one, and I am so happy, I literally cream in my jeans on a regular basis now. But wait, there's more! If you order now, we'll send you an extra month supply free. Mega Screen Scrub, a Popco brand. Millennial Book Club, check that out. Welcome back. It's Greg's favorite song in the whole world. He wakes up to it. It's his alarm clock. This week's Millennial Book Club, a.k.a. just fucking watching Netflix, was... Russian Doll. How'd you like it, Greg? I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm four. I watched four. I watched it pretty much uh, right away after last week. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting. Do you have the, uh, the synopsis there? Yes. Nadia and Al... Whoop. I have the synopsis of, like, the last app that I'm on. Hold on a sec. Uh, Russian Doll. Uh, the girl from Orange is the New Black dies repeatedly. Not quite Groundhog Day. This is the original Netflix synopsis. I think that's uh, that sounds exactly like what they wrote. <laughs> wow, really opens up what the whole show is. Nadia Lyons finds herself in a bathroom. Or not, yeah, is it? No, it's not yeah. Nadia. Her name is Nadia. Natasha. Her Lyons. real name is Natasha. Her name in the show is Nadia. Nadia. Her real name is Natasha Lyons. I mixed up fake and Natasha real. Leone. 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 I'm from America. That is Lion. Did so, you, you never saw Orange is the New Black? I never watched that show. She has some hardcore lesbo scenes. That's why I don't watch it, Greg. That stuff. No, one of them is hardcore. There's a girl in the show. Anyone that's seen Orange is the New Black would know. One of the girls is in there and she's delusional. Like she's going to marry this guy. And she doesn't want to be a lesbian, even though she's in a woman's So she gets raped. No. She's always in it, but she's always like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this after anymore. But this one, like, hardcore finger-banging scene where, like, the camera is on Natasha Lyonne, who's doing the finger-banging, and the other girl, we can't quite see. We can kind of see over her shoulder. She never gets a pew. Uh-huh. Which I think was some of Natasha Lyonne's best work. This may also rival that. I haven't seen the level of finger-banging from the prior work, but I think I'm going to give her a pass on that. Greg always rates his level of, of enjoyment on show on finger banging. Scenes. Bam. Two digits Apparently, in or two three digits, digits three. in. He's more of a four knuckle kind of guy himself. Once you go four knuckle, it becomes a different thing, right? Then we're talking my fistogram scale. Fistogram. Yeah. So it's We'll get into that on a, at a later date on the fistogram. <laughs> on the night of her 36th birthday, Nadia meets an all untimely end, then suddenly finds herself back at the party her friends threw for her. What I don't like is, just like you mentioned at the beginning, gave that low blow punch that just about 100% of everybody has in watching just the preview for this. It's like Groundhog's Day. I didn't like, however, that never once in this show, this show takes place in a reality where Groundhog's Day doesn't exist. Because if it did, 
every fucking person who was experiencing that and was trying to express it to somebody else in real life, like they were trying to express it to their uh, their shrink or their friend or whatever, go, it's like Groundhog's Day would be the first thing out of their fucking mouth. It's like Groundhog's Day only with dying. Probably chew on the nose because they I know don't everyone's going to say that. I, f- I feel if, yeah, they know everyone's going to say it, so they should do it first and be self-aware instead of feigning the, like, ah, it's nothing like, it's exactly like that. You're doing a completely different thing, but there is a similarity to experiencing the same day. Just fucking be one with it. Just own it before anyone else does. It's, That's- a, it's a very crazy, although Groundhog Day is out there in the world, mm-hmm. for us anyway, the viewer, it's a very crazy phenomenon that someone is thinking... You would keep waking up at the same exact point right. until you do it right, or whatever. I'm doing whatever. Money is, until you do it right, whether it's Jesus or more until finger you... banging. I think I'm hoping the finale. Jesus is be loves finger banging. More finger banging, and she's gonna finger bang bang her way right out of this. And re- it, she basically cycle. does. I've already finished the episode, the show. Where have you been? Where where are you? I've watched the first four. And we are spoiling the shit out of it. Oh, uh, yeah. Spoiler right up top. Actually, we're not spoiling anything. Everything we've said has been seen in the... in Literally right in the synopsis. All we're saying is that trailer, she, yeah. she... They never once... So now it. we're going to start spoiling the shit out of it. Although, now be careful, because I've only seen four. So, so I'm, I'm going to ruin you, this shit to I'm going to tell you where I'm at with it. Uh, at some point... So, first off, I do enjoy the original setup, which is she keeps coming to in a bathroom... At her friend's house in this, like... That's supposed to have, like, this blue glowing vagina motif. Almost, like, to give this idea of rebirth. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. Uh, what's laughable to me is that the girl that whose party it is is, like... I don't know, like, an artist or, like... There's not much going on. But she's got this apartment in New York that's, like... I don't know, 11,000 square feet? Give me a fucking break. It's that's huge. Like it, used to be a, it used to be a Jewish school. Right. But come yeah. on. Really? How, how much do you think that would cost to rent a month? A lot. Oh, uh, an exorbitant amount. Twelve thousand dollars, or it's like three point two mil though. If you were fucking lucky, it would be that much. And she's so having a party with like her two hundred closest friends. It was very funny to me. But anyway, I've been to parties like that, and in a place about that size or larger, they exist, man. People, and they do just that same thing where everyone gets together. They do drugs and end up. I just can't imagine she's the person that would be. Oh yeah. In fact, while watching this, so uh, just real quick, you know the uh, so you've been introduced to Alan. Yes. You see him in the preview, but only for a split second, and then you also um, don't he. But the thing is, he's not introduced until the fourth episode, the end of the third episode, and then the fourth episode, he's in it, it's and him. then he's in it for the rest of the time. Um, Alan, I went to high school with that guy, and he uh, he was a senior when I was a junior. That's the dude him. from Chicago Hope, Chicago Fire, Chicago Fire slash I, I call it Chicago Hope because. It gives I'm a pyro. Him, he's a pyro, and it, he just <laughs> loves fire. He's always rooting. That's the dude. I'm rooting for the fire. The yes. way you were like, have you been introduced to Alan? I was like, oh, all right. Isaiah's like into the show. You're like, no, like I can't. I'm, I I'm, I'm not gonna not. Again. I'm not gonna not talk about this show uh, without saying that I know that. Oh guy. fuck, of course. So of course. that's why it's I want to make sure. Role too. That's why I want to make. Yeah, he's the. What's he's his name? Alan. No, but what's you know what's his name? Charlie Barnett. Charlie Barnett. Okay. Yes, Charlie Barnett is uh, plays the role of Alan. Who I, and what's really funny is before because I watched the preview and even though he was in it, just didn't even register. Mm-hmm. And then um, when the first throughout the first three episodes, what I mostly wanted to say: How did you feel about before I tie this all back in and wrap it up with the main thought? How did you feel about um, Nadia or Natasha's character? N- Natasha's character as Nadia. How did you feel about it? I didn't think it was too believable. I just had a hard time relating with it, but I, I didn't care because I feel like she's just like a 
She's like a hot dog. She's just the condiment delivery service. And I like the yeah. onions and the ketchup and the bun you and like all, all the other stuff. So I just I didn't think she was very believable. Not that she wasn't doing a good job with her part, but I don't know. She's like does every single drug in the world, but then she becomes like this very conscientious person in this. And I think they they put some things together more important for the storyline than her character development. If that makes sense, I don't right. think I don't think she's a very realistic character. Not, I think not she, just because of the dying over and over. They just didn't do a good job to developing that character. I don't. Think. Well, you can't say how well she developed because you're only on episode four, Craig. I mean, come on, she doesn't develop. Why would they? She developed by episode. Four? Comma, you keep cutting me off through the first four episodes. I'm sorry. What were you saying? Uh, what as I was Bam! saying, I feel she seems. I don't know. There's this. It's really weird watching. Uh, uh, there's almost like this very stage acty thing to it when I was watching it, which. It grew on me as the thing went, but I still felt, and in watching it, like she was overacting in a way. Like her character just seemed like overplayed and out of place in that way, and uh, like almost like you, she, they put her, they dressed her all up in makeup and they put her on a st- on stage and like Hello Dolly, and she's like, "Hey, my name's Nadia. Give me that cigarette. I'm a cockroach." Now, like, I feel like that actually might be like a thing that just travels with her, though, because. The first thing I remember seeing her in was she was in um, a movie called Slums of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a B movie, but like, you know, had Richard Dr- Richard Dreyfus. Somebody played, oh, Alan Arkin uh-huh. played her uncle. Oh, something like that. They lived in Beverly Hills, but they were like broke. And it wasn't like down and out in Beverly Hills. It was like, you know, he it was like borrowing money from the his brother and the daughter, who was Marissa Tomei, was staying with him. He was like really needed that money. And she was just the girl that was just it was it was her dad played it was played by Alan. but anyway all of her lines were I'm like this is supposed to be like a 15 year old girl and she's like yeah what what do you she like the shtick that you are talking about she had it even back then when she was 15 right like I've been here before I'm a new you know what do you want from me look well, at me like I'm the, like all over the place that's uh, I like the character it just seems overacted it seems fake it seems like me acting like it seems like somebody acting that way that's what I mean like I like the character because the character's well, you accusing her of being an actress? so let me. Because I won't put up with that. That's why, that's like the main reason why I don't watch live comedy, not live comedy, I don't watch live acting a lot, is because a lot of times it, I could, it just looks like people acting like something. It's, when you get somebody who's believable, then it becomes really good. It's hard for people to do that. But the character themselves is exactly to a T a friend of mine who also went to school with Charlie. They were in the same grade and they uh, hung out occasionally. He lives in New York City. His name's Joey Cantalupo and he works for. Uh, 30 Rock. He works at 30 Rock now as like one of their carpenters and one of their uh, just like backstage guys. Like you see him, any, any show you see in like SNL or anything like that comes out of, out of there, he's there for, and he's been there for a while. So like sometimes you'll see like set pieces that have to be walked out and then like they got it attached to their back like a turtle shell almost with their back to the stage and then they sit it down just so they can gut it in and out. He's like one of those guys or he's like building that stuff or like... I, I was thinking more like he had a headset and he's like, I need that plywood. Where's the plywood, Tommy? doing that stuff too. Uh, whatever it is. But um, he is to a T her character. He talks like that. He acts like that. He's done every fucking drug. When I first moved to New York City, he was like in... Uh, he was in the hospital for weeks because he had he started getting kidney failure because he was out working some like Cirque du Soleil show like in the middle of the like in the sun and shit and they were feeding them all vegetarian meals and the whole time he was out there he was like just banging Adderall and uh, just caused his like 
shit to, to like fail and whatnot. But he's the same way, dude. He'll pass out with a cigarette in his mouth and he wakes up and he's like, hey, well, let's go down to the store and like did the same fucking accent. He is fucking her. He is this that's funny. And it's so, so that it's make a, it more to, relatable to, to me. It's a, when you say, ah, that's not believable. I don't know if that person exists. That person fucking exists. And I can introduce you to that goddamn person. There was one time when the, uh, when Hurricane Sandy came through and Red Hook was where he lived. Um, the whole place got shut down for like the longest in New York city. Like they had the, the power for, for, for days. They did not have power for the longest. Well, the whole city didn't have power for days. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have power for the longest. And we went to a bar and all the bars had like generators on and stuff. I remember we were with this Norwegian friend of mine just trying to show him the city and shit. And when he came walking out of this bar and Joey's like, I need some cigarettes. And this garbage truck was doing like a three point point turn at a cro- at an intersection. And he just lit his cigarette. He, he said, I need to go get some cigarettes. And he looked at us and he looked at the garbage truck. Garbage truck finally made its final backup to pull away. And he just ran and he jumped on the back of the garbage truck like a garbage guy and just held on, waved at us and rode off into the distance and disappeared because all the streets were empty because nobody was out. It was just us in the middle of the street watching him just take off. And I'm like, what the fuck? And my friend Morton was like, "Uh, does he do this all the time? I'm like, yeah, dude, this is just par for the course with what you're dealing with with Joey. He's just in the fucking moment. There's his window. He just jumped through it. And then uh, a few minutes later, you, you can finally see him like walking out of the distance with a pack of cigarettes because he went... He just, he just wrote it down to the fucking story. He just saw his opportunity. But, like, that was the guy that he is. He is that fucking guy. And had the same accent to the point where it's almost like... didn't It almost became more believable as the show went on. Because I was like, dude, that is even how he talks. So you really did have a personal connection with Russian Doll. That between going to the high school with the second dude... We haven't told you what his thing was yet. But basically, she's dying every day. And then one of the days, an elevator is like... Going she goes into her, yeah. She one how she dies is she walks into an elevator and that thing's about to collapse. Yeah, just there. just coincidentally, and as everyone's like freaking out, like let's lay on the floor, holy shit, we're dead. She, her and this guy are both calm, and she's like, "Hey, we're about to die. Like, why are you so calm?" And he's like, "Oh, I die all the time too." And I totally was saying to myself, she should have said like, "Meet me here tomorrow at like four, whatever." Really. <laughs> but they didn't even do that. Nope. She instead spent all this arduous work. So you haven't watched the episode after that? I did watch the episode after okay, that. Okay. Where she spent all this time to track him down. I know she did track him down, and that's obviously... There would have been a better arc on the show if they met each other, and she went, now fuck that, I work alone. It just never brought it back up. Never again. brought it back up, you know, <laughs> as a goof. As a goof. So that was... So yeah. Um, but the episode that they did next showed his whole situation and how he was dealing with this, this new thing he's being confronted with, which is I die every day, and it doesn't get any better... Uh, and, but I haven't seen any more than that one because I think I started it kind of late and I was super into it and then my eyes just started going and then I woke up and Netflix was off. So Right. I'm surprised. But I know I watched four. Right. I mean, it is... I don't want to ruin it uh, for you, uh, but as much as I would love to, I would ruin it for you. I think it is really good. I would put it up there with must-watch. Uh, just like Maniac, we're kind of on, on a roll. It's one of those things where I would recommend it above... Uh, I would recommend it... I would recommend it to some people uh, specifically, but I wouldn't just tell everybody to go watch it. But I do think it is one of the. It's a really well done show. Everything, it's it. it I like how it was directed. I liked uh, the acting. Everything fit. Everything worked. It was really cool. I really liked. Uh, yeah, I like the story, the acting. I like the bum. He's so fucking. Have you met the bum? Oh yeah, the bum was in the last app that I watched. 
the bum was in the last episode. Yeah. Because, yeah, he, you know, when he does the thing where he's like... Uh, I want to cut your hair. Yeah, it's funny. There's this, like, reoccurring theme with him where people come up to him and, and like, they say something and he looks around and he goes, come with me. And he just grabs their hand and, like, leads them away. And I just think that's uh, really, really funny. And everyone's just like, all right, I'm going with this bum now. That's funny. Come with me. <laughs> I like it, too. Like I said, her not being believable is not a deal breaker for me because it's an interesting concept. I mean... I'm not gonna lie. I saw Groundhog Day many times. I enjoyed it. It's a it's a funny concept. I like what they like on several levels. I like the idea of someone dying and starting over and over and over. I like what the film production can do with that. Like how tight are they on the details of like, hey, it's me, it's Ned. What's his name? And they they're going back and forth. How tight are they with that? Are they fucking up? I'm always watching for like a little blue because it'd be so easy to fuck it up. I know they're probably using the same tape over again. But for how far? And well, then what's the yeah, match? and they do it pretty easily because what they'll do is they'll be like, all right, guys, we're shooting every time she comes out of the bathroom today right now. So it's really easy to do that. So we they know in the script that she comes out of the bathroom and walks up. Hey, baby, here's that fucking Israeli shit. They know that that happens like this well, many times and maybe they record like, it all in the maybe same Maybe like day. 20 years ago they did that. I bet you now they do that a certain amount of that first take. Literally, they keep playing it over and over because well, they want it to be like forensically matching up. They go. It doesn't match up though. Every time it happens, she it there's something slightly changed and something is slightly well, so, different. Well, so right. Time. So like when she's in the bathroom, they're doing it different every time. But when she comes out the door, yeah, when she, she comes walks out the door, to a girl, she says, "Hey, here's the joint with the coke in it." And, uh, there's like a chunk of it that there is like exact because every time I've seen it's it so different far, every time. Every single time, something different because uh, because you know, that of, chunk where she sees her cutting the chicken. It, it's, it's different every it's time. It's literally the same exact it's thing. Not. It's different every time. Because every time she's doing something a slightly different, where it's like the same things are kind of said, but because so of the amount just, of time... Maybe it's just up to the girl with the chicken does her part. Then obviously Natasha Lyonne, having the information of another day, set, does something different. But that part where she comes up, hey girl... I got the right. thing for you. It's like exactly the same thing every time. Yeah, it's it's more or less the same exact thing, but because she spends a little bit more time in the bathroom or does something different, comes out of the bathroom differently, by the time she gets there, it's not like forensically the same because she's already thrown off. Like the, uh, the exact same thing would already be slightly different because she's already doing things differently than the first time. So I, I think they just filmed it like... 14 times. You're like, you come out of the bathroom 14 times. Yeah, no, doing there's definitely some, some of that same exact stuff. My, my whole point was I love the idea of just being able to see what they're doing with it in conjunction with the idea that someone would just keep being reborn to the same point. It's kind of neat, you know, because if you think about it, we're all, our major fear for all of us is that we're going to die. So if there was this weird window, however unlikely or believable it is, it's kind of a cool thing to think about, like, what would I do? On a related note, I feel like there's a point in my life where I did have like this little, it's a little fantasy maybe when you drive it over, like you're thinking about something that sucked. Could I live my life over? Where would I want to start? I would want all the information I have now, but like go back to eighth or ninth grade. But that's been ruined for me now because I've realized with all the permutations and the different things that would happen, I wouldn't have my kids. I could probably go find my same wife and do all that type of stuff in this podcast. But you might have started. other kids, and they might be better kids. But my kids <laughs> would be gone. So that's like a weird thing that I didn't think about with these with these schism things. But I do love to think about like these 
you know, this the type branches, of show appeals to me. The timelines. The it's like sci-fi is basically what it oh, is. Oh, really? Yeah. Because and with that's less finger banging than this particular brand of sci-fi. A lot less finger. I'm going to be honest with you, Greg. If it's all going to be based on finger banging, you're going to have a rough one. There's no finger banging. You're going to have thing? a rough one with this. Well, lucky you have a, a second screen and a laptop. And I can kind of augment. Now every show you watch can have <laughs> finger banging. <laughs> so yeah, I would agree, man. Good rating. I'm looking forward to the end of it. And uh, what is the next? pick for the NBC. After careful deliberation, we have a very extensive process at which we use to choose our millennial book club assignments. A wax seal letter is mailed to Switzerland, signed by the appropriate parties. It goes returned by Raven. Returned by Raven. What happens while expensive. it's and what happens while it's over there is a completely other <laughs> behind the iron curtain, if you will. Spoiler experience. alert on that, there's finger banging involved. Uh, finger banging in, in multiple ways on multiple levels. But the Jury has the the letter has been returned. The just smoke from before. the chimney revealed the new NBC choice that we are going to be watching the Netflix original series, uh, Larry Charles Dangerous World of Comedy. So that's what we'll be watching. So be sure to watch that and uh, for the next week. And again, so we uh, tried to do that for this episode, we didn't get and nobody wrote in for this episode. If you watch it. And just tell us how you felt about this Larry Charles or any of the other ones in the past. Email that to us at uh, roadsodamail at gmail.com. And then we uh, that way we can start incorporating you guys. We can talk about how you guys felt about uh, the Millennial Book Club segments. And then also, if there's something that you think that we should watch that is a Netflix original, because that's what it has to be. It has to be a Netflix original. Go ahead and write in, and then that way we can uh, watch that on for the Millennial Book Club. So yeah, for episode 79, you're going to want to watch Larry Charles, Dangerous World of Comedy. And then looks, looks fun. I think we're on a roll here. I think we've got a good thing going. I like yeah. this one. Welcome to Brain Drain, the latest innovation in memory storing. Last year, our leading mind scientist made a breakthrough in brain recording. This new cutting-edge mind technology allows us to pull every precious memory from your mind and store it for all to enjoy when you are finally dead. Come to our state-of-the-art facility and sign up for the marginally invasive procedure, lasting no longer than the time it takes you to read your favorite Stephen King novel. Have peace of mind knowing the story of how you saved Bobby using the Heimlich at Thanksgiving in 1988 will be told every year and not forgotten with the rest of you. Your family will spend hours poring over the easy to store and share 500 tape VHS box set containing every last experience from your whole life. Visit our Toledo storefront located in the strip mall with Super Weed Mart. Brain drain is not responsible for any information discovered by a loved one that may be unsavory. Your husband cheated on you with Mary, not us. Side effect may include feeling as if your true soul was trapped on 40,000 feet of magnetic tape. We are not liable for any other side effects yet unknown. Brain drain, a Popco brand. And now it is time to introduce you to the Reverend Speef Narkel. Be sure to check out Reverend Speef Narkel's YouTube channel. It's called Reverend Speef Narkel. Also, you can go to www.speefnarkel.com. That's S-P-E-E-F-N-A-R-K-E-L, just how it sounds, Speef 
narkel.com and you can see the entire swath of entertainment that is Spief Narkel. And of course, you can follow David Potter on Instagram at David Potter 47. Please enjoy the interview. We're recording. All right. So, everybody, uh, thank you. Uh, this is a very interesting treat. I told I told you guys all about how uh, we encountered the Spief Narkel brand, I guess, if you will. And um, then I reached out as as much as I could to try to find somebody with on the inside to speak with. And here with us is Mr. David Potter. How you doing, David? Good. It is great to be here with you. <laughs> okay. Hello to all the fine people listening. To the to the Rhodesodians. Um, yes. Okay. So I yeah I let me just kind of explain. We do uh, we we do commercials on, on the show, right? As many nice. little uh, commercials and stuff. Oh. And uh, I was trying to look for just some stock uh, stock photographs for the commercials, right? And I did a we did a commercial for Tits and Grits not too long ago, <laughs> which was gonna be it was like a, a breakfast strip club, right? And um, so I got I typed in Tits and Grits and I'm scrolling around uh, through the through the Google images and I come across what looks like some kind of like digital painting like artwork kind of thing, and uh, it kind of I just clicked on it. I didn't go to the web page, but I just clicked on it. But then I was like, I, I was, comp- it said tits and grits. I was like, how does this, what does this have to do with tits and grits, right? <laughs> this picture. And it's like a picture of a guy with like sunglasses on. And then I think it does have, it says, it was Clive, the Claude, bo- Claude the bovine turbo grease loaf, right? <laughs> was like the caption under the picture. Does that like, sound familiar? Or is there like a lot of guys putting stuff out on the Speef Narco brand and maybe that doesn't ring, ring uh, any bells for you? Yeah, no, I remember uh, Turbo Grease Loaf. <laughs> I remember. How well, could you forget? So, so that was our entry. That's and then uh, immediately we we were getting ready to record the next session, and uh, that's when he was telling me we got to look into this Spief Narco thing. Yeah. And we we spent a, quite a bit of time looking at the uh, body of work, and so we wanted to meet some of the guys that are involved. In- it was just yeah, it was really intriguing. Like I clicked on that thing, I read that article, and I. I was just so surprised because I wasn't looking for that, and I I did I wasn't looking for anything, and just found this ridiculous like story <laughs> that is just very flight of fancy like interesting kind of thing, and I was dying laughing, and then yeah I had to bring it to we brought it to uh, Greg and I just went through like all those videos and everything, and and uh, then we said hey let's see if we can get someone on the show and here we are man you know so so what we wanted to ask was or this is a question i had was kind of what do you see is like the the body of work or like because we see the website uh, we we looked at the jazz the glass movie that looks like it was maybe later what do you see as the time frame and like the the body of work is it like mostly videos is it the website is it did you guys do any audio stuff or is it all video and like what what yeah. kind of was the body of work all right, well, I'll start from just a little bit earlier. Okay. I'm David Potter. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also the Reverend Spief Narkel of Spief Narkel Ministries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys probably didn't know it was the same person. 
I didn't. Yeah, so actually, I kind of hate, to, this is my kind of my coming out, you know. So I was the Reverend Beef Narkel, and I don't, I, I would love to know a little bit more about this story that I wrote. Was it Tits and Grits? Yeah, yeah, it was Tits and Grits. So it, it started out, and it, and it was this story about how they were opening up this brothel <laughs> across the street from a liquor store where Claude the Bovine Turbo Grease Loaf worked with uh-huh. uh, um, uh, Old Man Flaccid Wang, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. he was out, he was fucking cantaloupes and grapefruits out in the back alley. And he was excited yeah, yeah. to get his fuckle on when the... Um... His fuckle. We like fuckle. I love okay, the... Okay, it's starting to come back to me. Yeah. And what okay, was... So... And then, and then it, I love the very... I love how it ended where... What did he shit in the oven? <laughs> Claude ran over yeah. and broke down the front door. He yelled at the top of his voice, Where's the fucking grits? And then took a shit in the oven... He turned it to 3.50 and set the timer for 47 minutes. Very the specific. <laughs> the turbo grease loaf strikes yeah. again. Yeah, uh, shitting in an oven's pretty pretty common. Yeah. That's kind of a theme. It, is it? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how you guys uh, broke into the Speef Narkel. Yeah. Well, Speef Narkel was, I think it started in 97. Um, I had been, uh, Wired Magazine had a Wired.com. And they did an experiment, which was essentially the kind of the first blog. It was a daily, like, uh, writing, a daily essay, but it was pretty dope. Uh And it was called suck.com. And I saw that, and I wanted to hitch a ride on that, uh, that success. So, spent a while thinking about, you know, what I wanted to do. And pretty much it was... You know, like, write stories about uh, tits and grits, queefs, like, that type of thing. And so, what better way to expose the world to something, something like that, something of value than to start a religion? So, so that's, so, so what we're looking at here is a, is a whole religion. Uh, the, yeah, that that was yeah. That's it's a religion. <laughs> okay, and what are the fundamentals of of the religion? Oh man, I, I don't I I don't know if I remember. It's, it was it was this was ninety seven. This episode of Road Soda is brought to you by Dark Web MD. Where do you go when they tell you there's no cure? They say the homeopathic options might help, but you know a brand spanking new child kidney will definitely help. But where do you score a kidney? Dark Web MD. Everyone is getting more and more tattoos. How are you going to keep up? A sleeve, your neck, your face? No way. You're ready to take it to the next level. You're getting horns. But you live in the suburbs. How are you going to get horns? Dark Web MD. Your 23andMe results came in, and unlike Kim and Chloe, no Armenian DNA. OMG, Brittany, how can we get that changed? Dark Web MD. A Popco brand. So, and oh, wow. So, yeah, so I started a religion and kind of <laughs> worked it for a while for about, <laughs> I don't know, four years, you know, trying to trying to 
score followers and all that shit. So, so, I so what did that look way. like? Those four years, like as you know, as guys that are kind of in a, a fairly similar enterprise, a love of the game type of reach out into the uh, into the internet. What is what do those four years look like? Is it like every week or is it like a couple hours? No, it's, here every, here? it's every day. Every day. Wow. Yeah. So suck from Wired uh, did this thing where it was every day, uh, probably every weekday. And so it's a little little blog post every day. Yeah. And it was the first time, but it was kind of like the first one. And you found yourself going back to it every day. And I was like, hey, why, why, what better way to brainwash someone than to get them to, you know, ingest your your ideology on a daily basis? Yeah, you got to get them in there every single day. Church yep, every day. You get, yeah, if you, if, yeah, I studied <laughs> um, the CIA brainwashing manual before at that time really yeah so that was part of it <laughs> and so i started uh well i i mean i don't before this i had uh filmed weed masters three power stoned okay explain <laughs> that was that was 95 just after college so let's I, let's uh how 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 old are, are you 46 almost 47 okay uh, and then, where did you go? Where do you, uh, are, as much as you want to, as much as you feel comfortable divulging, I don't want to like, yeah, but just to, just so we have an idea of more of like, I guess who we're talking to, like, so yeah, you went to, co- you just mentioned you went to college. Where, uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, Uni- uh, University of California, Santa Barbara. Okay. And then, and what did you, you got out like early nineties? Yeah, I got there. Uh, well, so high school ended in '90, so I got there in '90, essentially. Okay, so this is right after college. You you did Weed Masters three. <laughs> yeah, Weed Masters three, Power Stoned. So you you weren't in on the production of Weed Masters one or two? Uh, no, I figured I'd do number three first to pique people's interest, and it. then when they're like, "Fuck, that was good," I gotta I'm gonna have to get the whole the whole trilogy. And then I'd, you know, I'd eventually make one and two. Where, so were you a film major or a, what was your major in college? Uh, no, I was a environmental science major. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> All the pieces are coming together now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh yeah. So are, is, I, I wasn't real good at that. Was, um, was your dream... Maybe to always kind of to do the the video thing to do some kind of um, something in that area, and you were just kind of yeah. Well, my my love I love writing and I love directing actors, so those are my two favorite things. If I could do anything, I would just do those two things. Oh, what, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite director? <sighs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Got him! I got him. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking differently these days. So it was, I would say Richard Elfman. Huh? Do you know who that is, Greg? Richard Elfman. Yes, yeah, Danny Elfman's brother. I know who he Danny did. Elfman is. He's like the music. Uh, he did the music for The Simpsons, and he's like a, you know, he yeah. does music for movies and stuff. Oh, okay. And yeah, he was, he was from. He was in Oingo Boingo. That was his band. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Dead Man's Party. I know that song. Yep, exactly. 
and his brother in the I shoot in the mid '80s did a movie called Forbidden Zone. So that's that's probably my favorite movie, and so that's I would say what he had built at that time. He built a he and Danny, and I, you know I don't know the full details, but they built a troop of like a stable of performers, and they would just do whatever they wanted, and it's it's an incredible movie just artistically because the whole movie's. Anyway, I don't want to go into someone else's movie. Let's talk about my movie. Yeah, let's, let's talk, talk about, about your. Movie. Let's talk yeah. about your movie. Yeah, uh, um, and which was the Weed Master, right? Yeah, Weed Masters <laughs> Three Power Stone. <laughs> Power Stone. What was? Uh, how can? Uh, and you filmed. You made that one in '97, right after you got out of. Uh, '95. '95. Sorry. So that, that was '95. So so here's what was happening. I think, uh, you know, El Mariachi came out and Clerks came out. And at that point, you couldn't make a movie on video. So you had to make it on film, right? You had to make, you had to have a quality movie on film if you wanted to get anywhere with it. Right? Right. Okay. So (laughs) I had purchased this Russian camera, a Krasnogorsk 3, which you had to hand wind and stuff. You know, it it didn't have a whole lot of. Uh, it just was a shitty ass camera that was cheap, and so I had to create a movie that took advantage of that shittiness. Okay. And so I devised this movie that doesn't have any words. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even have a plot, right? And so it was just be a bunch of dudes getting stoned or drunk. And then, you know, on the spot, you just figure out a scene and then you string them all together. There's essentially no edits in the movie. And it's a wind-up camera. Anyway, I don't know. I think it had a theme at one point. I don't think I ever wrote a, a, a script for it, but that's the number one rule is finish your script. I've, I've not done that several times <laughs> and not finished those movies. So so wait so you did this in '95, Weed Masters three, and you're bringing it up here 25 years late, 20 almost 25 years later. So that must have yeah. started something for you, and then it seems like there weren't were there many movies after that. So no, so well I did a bunch. I just did little animations that ended up on Speef Narkle. So I started Speef Narkle in '97. And then I, it was just a forum for me to brainwash people with the religious over and undertones. And then, and then, you know, just do animations and stuff and get better at the craft. Cause I had, I had to, it was also a, a learning tool because I wanted to be in that profession. Right. So I just explore and do whatever I wanted to, a lot of writing. Uh, there were flash animations that probably don't work anymore. And, you know, that type of shit. So I was just trying to create something every day, right? So it's your brain with creation is a muscle. So if you want it to, if you want it to be easy to write, you know, every day, you have to write every day, essentially. That's true, for sure. If you don't, you know, it just gets, it just gets hard again. So whatever. Anyway, so yeah, I didn't do any full length movies until until I I did flash games and stuff that were pretty radical but then 
I didn't do any. Oh, and then I uh, owned and started a telemarketing company for a couple of years. And then I got out of that soul sucking uh, <laughs> business. Jeez. So wait, you, uh, you started it? I, I it was, was half owner of a telemarketing and company. Wh- what were you guys marketing? Just whatever the customers wanted or were you guys like actually? No, no. We were marketing a very specific product. And dick what? pills. Dick pills? No. Oh, truck nuts. Was are you serious? No. I, that would be my dream though. A full uh, like an hour, hour, Dude, I, I hour just long listen- hour long infomercial on truck nuts. It's on truck nuts. I just listened to the dollop episode about the battle between the two guys that created truck nuts. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's it was a guy like in Texas and a guy in New Mexico. Well, so what, what was the product? Was it, like, <laughs> Sorry. was it like Focus Factor or like a brain supplement or something? Or what was it? Oh, oh, that's great. Um, great question. Have you, I don't know if they still run them anymore, but in the back of like Popular Mechanics, <laughs> a Thrifty Nickel, Thrifty Nickel was our number one source of just mass calls. But we would advertise jeeps for five hundred dollars government seized vehicles oh yeah right have you seen those <laughs> oh yeah Ads. that that was a big thing way back definitely pre-internet that was huge really oh yeah. yeah yeah so we uh we it's a part of it is a cottage industry in santa barbara where i you know was going to school and then i moved down to san diego okay so anyway had a telemarketing company i left it my partner ended up yeah, building a telemarketing company for the mob and then ditched that. <laughs> ended up selling uh, securities unlicensed and uh, the SEC blasted him. And he uh, he spent some time behind in the big house, I think. Yikes. Yeah, I was glad to get out of that. That was soul-sucking. So, I mean, it so was that legal. guy had nothing to do with the creative side. He just was your telemarketing partner. And all this time... You're still just uh, the Reverend Speefnarkle using uh, your website as kind of scratch paper or like a journal to keep the yeah. writing going. Exactly. And so, but right at that time, uh, the Mac, the OS, or uh, the Mac, you know, the, the ta- Mac Tower came out, the G3. Okay. And that everything changed in 2000. So you had the G3 coming out. You had all these digital cameras, right? Uh, Mini DV cameras. You had uh, Apple making Final Cut Pro the best, most accessible editing platform for, you know, an independent, right? Right. So those all came, they just hit at that one moment in 2000. So I had earned enough from the telemarketing rig to buy all the shit that I needed, right, to start making movies. And so I was like, I'm out of this shit pile, grease hole, and <laughs> moved back up to Santa Barbara and started uh, making short films. And I, th- shoot, that's not even on Speef Darkle. That's post Speef Darkle. That was on, oh, shit, I don't remember. That's when... Have you seen Mustache 47? Yes. I was going to okay. ask you about that. We were definitely so going to the Mustache movies. Okay, so that was... That was... A, uh, uh, did you see Mitchell Streethawk? 
Master I'm, Disguise? I think I'm... Yeah, yeah. I think I may have. Was okay, it, anyway. Yeah, you had clips of yourself in, like, uh, out, out in New York City for a little bit, didn't you, in that one? Oh, shit. I, uh, I, actually, it was London, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. And what, but anyway, that, you might have been talking about... That might be my brother, the pukester. The pu- oh, is he the one that puked from the gallon? Uh, no, that's the big daddy. Uh, the pukester puked... Uh, I don't even know if that's online. But anyway, so yeah, that is, it, uh, once I got the camera, I started making as many short films as I could. So I made Mitchell Streethawk, uh, the Mustache 47 series, and uh, then Beef Summer. Okay, yeah, I remember seeing Beef Summer. Yeah, and so, and those things came out, and I was making Flash games, and then I got hired at Troma. Troma, you know Troma? No, no, what is this? What is Troma? Troma Films. It's the film company. They're out of New York, but they had a Los Angeles office, you know, right before the internet bust. 2000, 2001, they had an office in Los Angeles, which was close to Santa Barbara. So I went down and interviewed, showed them a speech narcle and a bunch of other stuff. Well, so anyway, Troma is the company that makes Toxic Avenger. Do you know Toxic Avenger? I did see the Toxic Avenger, yes. That was like a a campy cult thing from like the early 90s, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Something like that. Maybe even late late 80s, but yeah. yeah, So that company... That company just was into like making bad, shitty movies, and they would acquire the sh- as shitty a movie as possible. I mean, they just would acquire them for a dollar or whatever. Yeah. So they had a huge, huge library. <laughs> and I worked there in the Los Angeles office making shit for Tromaville, which is the new Troma website, right? And okay. so they interview me. I, they look at Speef Narkle, and at that point in time, Speef Narkle was in the top 100,000 websites in the world. Really? Wow. And, <laughs> it, and it was, you know, in 97, it was probably pretty at a pretty decent spot, too. I have no idea. Don't remember. But Wait, so what year was this that you're talking now, when Troma... When you, we're when talking you... th- the year 2000. Year 2000, okay. Yeah. So I hadn't worked on it that much, but anymore because i had gone on to making these short films mustache 47 and all that so i went to work at troma and made a bunch of weird video games hillbilly madness um my movies were shown in their film festival and then the internet bubble burst but i was still in la in the film industry so i had broken into the film industry and you know it was not nothing special Anyway, so I was making movies down there, meeting meeting people, and then I wanted to move up to Portland because my brother moved up here and it looked awesome. I moved up to Portland and immediately started um, started writing Kobach Six Janitors on Acid. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Wait, I don't think I. 
I no, I did come across. You that came across title. it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't watch the. I didn't watch that one. Yeah, there might be Kobach Six Janitors on Acid has not been finished. It's almost nothing's been released but a trailer. Now, and it, was there any mm-hmm. actual LSD? No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> it's good. Hey, man, I'm not a cop. You know, you can. <laughs> no, no. If there was, uh, you would know, but. I didn't, I, I, I don't know, I've never had LSD, I've had mushrooms, but I didn't want to take mushrooms and make, make a movie, I would be just like uh, giggling in the corner. Maybe that would be good. <laughs> yeah, but you, <laughs> not when you gotta, not when you're doing the, your favorite thing of all time. You're right. You don't want to be sitting in the corner wasting every moment. You want to be, So yeah. yeah. So during, making those videos, right, Beef Summer... Mustache Forty Seven, uh, um, Mitchell Street Hawk, and so I, I built up this my stable of actors, right? Which was my dream, right? I had told you about this before. Yes, yes, just built, like the, your, your your favorite director did. Yeah, Richard Elfman, Danny Elfman's brother, and so I could build up this like batch of actors. Unfortunately, they were all in Santa Barbara. But and they, but they were mostly friends that I had before, or my brother's friends, and they just were were awesome. But so I'm in Portland, but they're all in they're all in Santa Barbara except my brother, the pukester. <laughs> and so I write this movie, Kobach Six Janitors on Acid, but guess who didn't finish writing the movie? It's this done. guy. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I haven't finished it because of that. Right? If you got, you got to finish the script before you, hold on, hold on. Popco Brands would like to thank you for your support. As the owners of 63% of all American brands, every 10 seconds each American produces a dollar of revenue for us on average. No need to buy anything different or try out something new. Just keep doing what you're doing. That is because we are the world's leading producers of podcasts, nuclear materials, and chicken nuggets. Popco is also the sole owner of all carbonation methods, plastics for consumables, and mass water purification techniques. Because of the wide and sweeping reach, if you are eating, sleeping, alive, or dead, Popco would like to thank you for your continuous support. You gotta finish the script before you roll a frame, right? You should. That's the the golden rule. Shit. I gotta... I got one of those pantyhose in front of my mic, and my the pantyhose smells like ass. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't smell like it before I farted. I know. Weird. If, if only we could get to the bottom of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. I'll let you guys know. All right. <laughs> and so that's the moral of the story. Don't, don't, uh, don't start shooting a frame until that movie is hammered, is dialed in the script. So, so that just kind of died on the vine, and it's uh, in the shoebox somewhere in the back of the house. So, it, yeah, it's on a couple drives. It's amazing, I think. But is this I, a full I length? Just, is this a full length movie? Or is this like a five minute movie or a ten minute? No, movie? we're t- we're talking a forty seven minute movie. 
47 minutes. Is that what it's at right now or what, what it's supposed to be when you uh, have it all written out? Okay, so I wrote this movie. It's I'll just delve into it for a moment. I wrote this movie, Cobox 6, Janitors on Acid. And again, uh, Cobox 6, right? Not Cobox 1 or 2 or whatever. Right. Because <laughs> you, yeah. you got to hook them in. Yeah. Three didn't... Three didn't uh, uh, Weedmasters 3 didn't hook them, so, you know, Kobach 6 is going to hook them. So em. you doubled down, went all the way to 6. Yep. All right. <laughs> I like That's your right. thinking. <laughs> it's kind of like, a, well, Star Wars started at 4. Yeah, you got to think, and they, and they did okay. Yeah, that's a, exactly. And so I write this thing and get these amazing actors. I get this act, this guy from high school that I hadn't seen since high school. And this is, what is this? This is 2002. I grad, I graduated in 90. So I hadn't seen him in 12 years. He was the funniest guy in high school. He didn't have to do shit, and you were dying. And I so I was like, man. oh, my God, I scored this dude. He's going to be my, you know, the hero, the main character in Kobox 6. He's going to be Saxon, Kobox right-hand man. Is it, is it breaking up, or is it okay? No, you're good. No, no, yeah, we can hear. Okay. Yeah, you sound great. I'm actually. I got the picture up of uh, Saxon, the main character of Kobach. Although we yeah, couldn't so. find the trailer, I guess the, the link for the trailer is out. Uh, but Shit. It, in case you know. wanted to know, there is uh, someone trying to sell the domain Kobach.com for the paltry sum of fifteen thousand USD. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. That is myself owner of Kobach dog. I think Kobach's the last name of it's a popular last name in one of uh one of the Balkan countries. Yeah, something like Czechoslovakia, Kazakhstan. Yep. And yep. one of those day one of those guys is either gonna kill you or actually buy it from you. Yeah, he <laughs> they, no... I get he wants it bad. Um but <laughs> it's a it's a vicious <laughs> bidding war. <laughs> he's gotta he's gotta make he's gotta up the ante to 15 G if he wants if he wants to talk turkey so, <laughs> I love it so, a lot okay, of fires so in, the, got, in the a lot of irons in the fire I love it <laughs> yeah so here we got uh, here we got uh, Kobach and Saxon and they are the turd slayers right that's their team in the janitorial Olympics that are about to happen that year <laughs> and then you got their arch enemies uh, Hogballs and Wino Jim from the Shit Vipers, and those are the enemies. That's and like so the rival janitor, the rival janitor team, right? The rifle rival janitor team, exactly for the for the janitorial wars that year. <laughs> um, and but what ends up happening is so Kobox married to blo- uh shit. Barzag, and Barzag's cheating with hog balls. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that movie, uh, you know, I made that movie. So, what happened with your with your high school buddy that you got got going? Did was he in anything else besides Kobach? So he comes and. He was—he just wasn't the dude that I remember from high school. He was really self-conscious. Uh oh. But he really wanted to act. He loved it, and he was—he was still funny, 
but we we I you know I'd already brought him on and we did some tests man I, I could I'd love to bring up those tests but he shredded the tests but when it came to you know delivering lines and stuff he felt self-conscious right and so pukester and I were like where we start filming you know this is day one of filming and we're like oh shit this is not working what should we do and pukester's like I don't know man because uh, we'd never really filmed with him before as a as a group, you know. I, like I said, my ensemble, the Spief Narco Players, had not filmed with um, this guy who became Saxon, and so we're like, "Shit, what are we gonna do?" Well, we're like, "Okay, let's turn him into a robot," because <laughs> his acting was so wooden, right? And so we're like, "All right, Saxon, we want you to act act." do the most wooden acting that you can and so and then we just said it was a robot and we just kept it but anyway that movie has not seen the the light of day just which is a shame anyway how, how much of it did you get did you, did you get uh, done how many minutes do you, do you feel like of the movie were actually filmed it's uh it's 47 minutes because that's how much I think it should be, and I definitely have enough for that. Oh, so you think you could actually cut it together, and you got the movie? Yeah, yeah, I have everything. I could cut. I could cut probably the best movie I've ever made from it, but I just can't get over the hump of editing. I did so much editing that I can't do it any anymore. It it drives me insane. Oh, that's a that's a large hurdle. Yeah. yeah. Well, plus plus forty five and a wife and kids is, yeah. uh, is a hurdle of Six. in itself. Forty six, almost forty seven. I'm trying to take years away from this man, Greg. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Yeah. He earned all forty six of those years. I, I just want to get to forty seven, then I'll be happy. <laughs> so wait, so this is two thousand two. Was this like the whole year of two thousand two, or when are you done and moving to the next thing from Kobach? Oh, okay. So got Kobach in two thousand two. Then after that, I just I, I do you know Andy Sedaris, the guy that directed just some just terrible eighties boob movies, not like the good ones. Like he had these spy movies, but with uh, like Playboy centerfolds as the spies and like some buff dudes as the the male spies. How do I get into that line of work? Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. How do I make those boo I've movies never heard there? of Andy Sedaris. I know David, the writer, and his sister Amy, but I don't know David. But no, I mean, Andy. Andy Sedaris. Oh, I don't know Andy. Yeah, so he made these movies, and they're awesome. They're like, Picasso Trigger. That's <laughs> the name of one of the movies. Picasso and, Trigger. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, the spy who slipped in the tub or something like that. What we call softcore porn, basically. Yeah, that's what we yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cinemax. Skinemax. Yeah. Skinemax. Skinemax or Cinemax, yeah. Yeah. And so, so I was like, okay, well, you know, I couldn't get myself to finish Kobach, and I'm going to do a movie, because, oh, the uh, Panasonic HVX900 or DVX1 or one of those things, the first affordable dv mini dv camera that could shoot 24 frames a second right right and it had a film look that just the filter made it feel like it was film so i'm like 
all right, it's time to make the next movie. And so I wrote a spy boob movie called uh, Vitalitronics Operation Treble Hook. Okay. All right. I'm on board. In the style so of Andy it, Sedaris, you're saying, because he was making yeah. out with these with these uh, yeah. spy boob movies. Yeah, so he was doing good with the spy boob movies, you know. He was doing well. And so I was like, shoot, I got to make something that's going to make some big money. And also so. also that you can get uh, hot hot chicks in there. Yep, hot babes. Hot babes in your movies. <laughs> like, was that guy really making that much money on a movie like that? I mean, I saw a million of those in my life. I'm I'm looking yeah. on IMDb at Picasso Trigger. I know I've seen a thousand movies like that, and yes. I just they just seem to go straight to Skinamax or whatever. Where's the money in that? Well, what you didn't see was he'd been doing it since like uh, blockbuster days, right? Blockbuster. You remember that crap? Oh, yeah. VHS? Yeah. So he, now he made plenty of money. Uh, the market, you think the market was huge, but he had actual Playboy centerfolds or Playboy playmates, whatever. And so they could use those names and definitely easily sell that stuff. Yeah, my, my, my grandmother was in a movie, uh, The Playmate. She was in The Maltese Falcon. Was she really? Yeah. No shit. <laughs> My grandma, my my step grandmother was playmate of the year sixty nine. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do not you see your grandma's tits. <laughs> <laughs> so wh- where are we now on the time? I think now we're in like the early two thousands. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm ma- here. I'm uh, yeah. No, we're talking about two thousand four, I think. And so I'm making Vitalitronics Operation Treble Hook. And what, what, so and, what type of budget are we looking at on Operation Treble uh, Hook? We're probably looking at about uh, 5000 bucks. Okay. And mm-hmm. so I met a, I, I took acting class to meet actors in Portland, right? And it's, But I didn't care about acting. That's and so I, I'm, I met a bunch of cool actors, met this, met this lady that I thought could be the star of Vitalitronics and her husband was going to produce it. And, you know, and I used a bunch of the actors from that school to make my spy boob movie. Which was Vitalitronics. How do I say it? Vitalitronics. Vitalitronics. Operation. Yeah, you can find the full movie on on YouTube. Vitalitronics. It's it's got some it's got some editing issues, but I it still makes me laugh, you know, is my kind of attempt to make something mainstreamish. What I love is that you, I'm looking at when I look at some of these things that you're posting on YouTube, it was like they flipped YouTube online and you were posting videos. <laughs> it was cuz some of these videos are posted on YouTube like 10, 12 years ago. It's it's fucking great. Yeah. I, I remember those years, Vitalitronics. Yeah, you can find Vitalitronics. It's pretty good. I think it's got... A, I think I'm better at writing individual lines than doing a whole story, for one. And I can't stand editing video. So that, that took, a, took a heavy toll, you know? 
it's hard when you don't like doing it. Wow, but, this is like so, a full hour twenty. Who's Garland Lyons? Yeah, he's a he's a he's an actor from. He is awesome in the movie. He plays Walter, and he he's just a good actor, good stage actor from Portland. There's a bunch of great stage actors, and then of course I brought in the Spoof Narco players for a few choice parts. <laughs> Man, yeah. uh, anyway, so I finished Vitalitronics, tried to get it distributed, but you know that's what you did back in the day. You tried to get a distributor to sell your movie on VHS and DVD and and get it on uh, into a theater or something, right, or into a festival. Or, yeah, mostly, or a video on demand, VOD. So that's what you did back then. You tried to get a distributor. And so I shopped it around. Uh, It was, it's got issues, right? So it never got distributed. So I kind of just forgot about it. And then Mike Black, who was Hogballs in. Box six janitors on acid. He was one, he's one of my favorite actors to work with. He's he's really just a math teacher, but he's an amazing <laughs> actor. And so, but he was he's way into surfing. And was he the guy in the mustache? So you tried to yeah. get distribution for Vi- Vitalitronics, and it yeah. di- it didn't really happen. So then what? Is it like? continuing to try and get stuff going or was it like such a big undertaking and it didn't go anywhere it was kind of time to move um, on to something else or what yeah it's a yeah it's a pretty big undertaking but um i just didn't have the motivation to move it somewhere right and i got an opportunity to do another movie um invasion from planet c the surf, the first of the two surf surf movies. It's the sci-fi surf movie. Oh, this is where the surfing comes in because we definitely wanted to ask about the surfing. Yeah, how'd you get involved with the surfing thing? I think we're about to hear. Here. I think we're about to hear. Do you guys really want to know? Well, we got you all the way here, Dave. If, all right, if, if well, you would, if you well, would. Well, shit. <laughs> I grew up in Huntington Beach. Ah, surf country. Surf city. So- Unfortunately. I have, yeah, I, at that time, I had bright red hair, and I burned super easy, and I couldn't really go to the beach, and sunblock back then was all super greasy and smelled like like plastic shit, and so I didn't, uh, didn't, I didn't become a surfer in Huntington Beach. But you are a surfer now? I am not. No, I kind of, <laughs> I think I kind of got and jazzed the glass that it was... Some of the guys might have been surfers, though. Was anyone in the in the Jazz the Glass crew actual surfers, or was it all ironic uh, surfer jargon? Uh, no, no, that a lot of it's legit. Yes, I would say half of the participants in the voices are surfers. Okay, that was kind of what we were guessing: is that there were actual surfers, but there was also a lot of tongue in cheek pounding on the surfer. Uh, you know, slang because there's definitely a lot of that. So, what does stoke mean? Is that money? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, in uh, Invasion from Planet. Well, so Mike Black, who's a surfer, he calls me 
he was one of the beef knuckle players. He calls me. He was hog balls. He was shit. Who else was he? I don't remember. Um, and so he's like, "Hey, dude, let's make a surf movie. Let's we'll film it all over the world. Uh, we can do a sci. I don't. He said I wanted to call it Invasion from Planet C. He had thought of it while he was in his math class, and so I'm like, "Shit, yeah, that sounds awesome." So I wrote this script <laughs> about, um, you know, this people from Planet C coming down to Earth to steal all the stoke, which is essentially just like wave karma or some wave karma. Uh-huh. Wave but, karma. That's, that's, uh, that's more, that's much more esoteric than I thought. I, I was thinking like, were we talking weed? Are we talking money? What, what, what is stoke here? No, no. But it's no, like, this it's is like, like, it's wave karma, bro. <laughs> it's just energy it's, it's a, energy it's, a, it's, it's probably one of the more pure forms of energy so if you if you could uh convert your vehicle to running on stoke you would be it would be a lot easier it would be a lot easier on you know the the earth because you can mine it from waves you can mine it if you it, you, you can mine it from the wind um, you can, if you if you dig deep enough, you can mine stoke from the inner core of the earth. And so, I wanted to write about stoke. I don't know where I'm going. This is just I'm just babbling. <laughs> Complete shit. We were on board, man. You had us. I know you were believing too, huh? So, I, hey, so I, how yeah. far did Invasion from Planet C go? Is this something that got produced that we could see on YouTube too, or is it like mid? Oh yeah, no. Invasion from Planet C is probably the the my biggest success no shit so it's a surf movie we filmed it in we, we ended up getting a, one of the, another guy from or actually the other guy was already involved the guy sidewinder from mustache 47 so he was already involved he was going to be the other surfer they had quit their jobs and they were going to surf around the world and they wanted me to make a movie that captures the surfing and also how is somehow called Invasion from Planet C. So I wrote this script to take advantage of the locations. We went to Costa Rica, New Zealand, Australia, and... They went to Fiji. What were they doing before their... What was their work before they, they quit their jobs to go do that? Uh, one was the math teacher, right? Mike Black. Right. He right. was a math teacher. And the other guy was... So this was about 2007? Yeah, perfect timing. 2007. And the other guy, Casanova, Matt Plummer, was in the mortgage business. Oh, you know? so he so got he, out. Yeah, he'd, been, he'd made pretty decent money. And he had, he was gonna take that trip, right? They were both gonna take this surf trip around the world. So so uh, so we film we filmed for two weeks in Costa Rica, and then I have a cousin who lives in Piha, New Zealand, which is on the I don't know on the right on the coast, opposite of Auckland in the North Island. Uh -huh. So it's called Piha. It's just north of where they filmed the piano with Harvey Keitel. Is Harvey Keitel in that? The piano. The piano. I, no, he's, it can't be Harvey Keitel. I don't know. 
anyway, it, that was, it was filmed in this. So my cousin owned a place in Piha. And so we're like, we're coming to New Zealand. Can we stay at your place? We're going to film a movie. And my cousin's like, sure, you can stay. And so we were in New Zealand for four weeks. And that was the bulk of the filming of the plot. I sliced and diced that thing together. We got some killer music from bands that are popular in the surf industry. And we debuted it at a bunch of killer places. It played, you know, in shit like France. And we sold a bunch of DVDs and shirts and, you know, the, the usual shrag. Okay. Wow. Huh. So, so you made a little and, money on it. Well, yeah. I mean, we made enough to think that we were going to make another. And so, but that came out, that did well. It's well known in the surf industry, Invasion from Planet C. You can, let's see, you can buy the DVD or you can do it. You can stream both these movies. And Invasion. where can you stream them? Uh, you can go to invasionfromplanetc.com and that streams through a Vimeo. That's through Vimeo, their, uh, their distribution label or whatever, right? It's right. not a distribution label. It's a platform to distribute movies. It's probably called like Vixio or something. Right, right, right. It used to be, it used to be something else. So you can see Invasion from Planet C. You can see the full movie. You can see uh, what I prefer is the plot only, where there's no surfing. And then <laughs> I think I might have done the I I think I might have done the Spanish subtitles for that one, but I'm not sure. Do you Jazz, speak Spanish? Like, no. <laughs> I mean a little bit. <laughs> I mean now after doing a whole movie. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I had a I had a friend in the translation business, um, so uh, that movie Invasion from Planet C and dot com and JazzTheGlass dot com will take you to that, and you can get those versions. You can get both movies. You can stream the whole thing. You can stream the story version, and my personal favorite is definitely definitely the story version. Or Jazz the Glass has the Spanish version, which I'm sure is the it's just Spanish subtitles, but so I ran the whole script through Google Translate, <laughs> and then anywhere that I thought I could put a like a bad word like pendejo or mierda or ah uh, shit some other ones uh, chingate right <laughs> any, anywhere that I could put any of that stuff I just filled it up with those words. Who knows? I you know I don't know if, what if they make sense, <laughs> but Jazz the Glass, which is a 1946 pirate movie, right? That we I rewrote and <laughs> about Stoke. Yes, I rewrote it about Stoke and redubbed it with the Spief Narco players and a couple pro surfers. So was that was that a solo project for you? And then you brought in the guys to do the voices, like you wrote it. No. Once, once again, uh, Mike Black, the surfer, he had got, he had gotten a, we'd gotten a lot of interest with Invasion from Planet C, and he was a surfer, so he really kind of took that and 
I don't know, he's, people know him in the surf industry. And he was like, dude, I had told him before that I was completely rewriting this 1946 pirate movie. Um, And so I showed him, showed it to him, but it was mostly about um, queefs and people taking dumps. (laughs) And so he was, he'd read it and he was like, dude, let's turn that into a surf movie. And I'm like, shit, you're right. We got to make this about Stoke, not dumps. He sounds like the type of guy when you're like, hey, let's go to let's go to lunch, and he goes, dude, let's you know what I like? Surf lunch. Let's make it surf lunch. <laughs> little surf and turf. <laughs> Hold the surf and turf. Hide the turf. Hold the turf. Right. Give me double surf. Double surf. <laughs> He's like, I had sent him the the pirate movie that I'd redubbed that was all about turds and queefs, right? Right. And. <laughs> Dumps, dumps and queefs, and yeah, and I I remember when I had, before I had rewritten it, I was trying to get actors, so I went to Garland Lyons. I'm dude, because he's a good actor. I'm like, dude, you want come on, read, the, read you got to read a part in my uh, this new surf movie I'm doing, um, Jazz the Glass, and so I'd sent him the script, but I'd sent him the I'd sent him the dumps and queefs script, and he was like. Uh, like he was supposed to be talking about like shits going over the side of a pirate ship all day. And he was like, dude, I can't do this. And I'm like, Oh dude, you're going to miss out. It's going to be famous, whatever. But you it's thought not he about... was reading the, the surf one. Uh, yeah, but I gave him the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one about the dumps. <laughs> and so he was, he said no. So I was like, shit. So I had to get, I don't know, probably got another person, but um, so yeah, Mike was like, Hey dude, let's turn that pirate movie you rewrote into a surf movie. And I'm like, okay, but I don't want to do any, I don't want to film the surf. Right. <laughs> As y'all know. Right. And so he was like, dude, you don't have to film the surf. We got John Steele. He's going to film all the surf. We just got to buy everyone tickets to Costa Rica and we'll film it all. And you can do all the, the um, you know, working, reworking the pirate movie, recording all the dialogue, writing all the dialogue, or rewriting it because it, you know it's mostly done. Adding a bunch of surf bullshit into it, and then we got a, the beef narco players and a couple pro surfers to read Jazz the Glass, and that movie is. I would say I would be most proud of that because while I took out a lot of the dumps, I left in all the queefs. <laughs> uh, man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, that's that's the one I'm most most proud of. That's the one where the guy goes, "I yeah, blasted your grandma." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you really like that line. <laughs> uh, did you? Uh, so you've seen the trailer for that? I watched. Uh, I, I, it was actually just last night, and it was kind of a late day for me. But I watched probably, I would say twenty five minutes of it. Maybe I got pretty far into it. I got to the yeah. fight sequence where one of the guys throws the other guy out off of the, or he goes out through the portal. Oh yeah, that's like a half hour into it, and I did yeah. see a big queef scene. Where when they board the other ship, uh, the woman is, um, I forget what the hell she says, but she says, this is something for you to remember me by. Yeah. There's a big, loud, queef 
situation, yeah. which you don't see in a lot of films. No, no. no. It's unique. It's groundbreaking. Yeah, so he's like, she's like, uh, yeah, something like, I, I would want to leave you with something to remember me by. She rips a queef, and he goes, smells mighty nice. <laughs> and then she's like, uh, well, try this then. And then she just pretty much covers the dude in queef. And and then it cuts. Mwah. Beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, that's a movie that pro- probably when I what I look at when I watch the story version, it's probably the one I laugh the most at. So, in what year was that? Was that that was like 2010? Yep, that was 2010. So we released that movie, and it does well. Not quite as good because a lot of people are like, damn. I wanted to show that, but the language in that movie is terrible, or something. Like it was it was a terrible language. It's as bad as I could make it. And uh, we had actually Invasion from Planet C had been that way too, but we had we had to any distributor we talked to for a surf movie said, yeah, it's got to be PG thirteen or PG or whatever, probably PG thirteen, so that. The grommets, the little surf kit, the surf kit teens. They call the them grommets. Grommets, yeah, the surf teenagers. You know, they're probably one a big part of their market, and so we had to tame every curse word or, you know, every weird, weird motion that su- suggestive motions, and uh, so we had to either cut the suggestive motions out and dub all the bad words which I was okay with because I'm also a huge fan of poorly dubbed movies from the 80s and 90s I, oh. <laughs> but the TV versions only and so so, so that's the that was the last big project back in 2010 Jazz of Glass and since then you've been kind of back in civilian life yeah 2010 and then shit what did I do Oh, I did. I started. Then I started painting. Yeah. So I saw uh, your Instagram and some of your your painting uh, that you're doing. What's your medium? How are, how are you making these paintings? Uh, it's acrylic on canvas. Really? Yeah. So I thought painting would be a nice change, and so I painted a bunch of stuff, and then that would take us to I don't know a couple years ago. And now so, I'm just your normal family guy. When did you? When did you turn? Uh, uh, when did you? You know, meet your your wife and and settle down and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I met my wife. I met my wife when I had a telemarketing company. Oh wow! Oh, wow. So she's been with you for a yeah. long chunk of this, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. But the you know, you don't let them know who you really are for at least a year, right? <laughs> At right, least, right. at least, <laughs> <laughs> until until you get married, then you can like really let it hang out. And the, but and then, then when you have in. a kid, but the, yeah, you're locked in, and you think you have it, you think it's the gravy train, right? <laughs> and then you have a kid, and then it's shit. How am I gonna walk my child to school and be a respectable member of this society? And so. Yeah, things, the lady uh, at the bus always gives me a bad look when I get the queef machine out when I'm trying to put my kid on the bus. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. That's why I'm uh, hidden away in my shed 
Well, Get that shit out in the shed, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, whenever I come to the shed, or if I'm coming to the shed and I'm smoking grass, I, I'm hoping that my daughter's asleep because every time I go in to say goodnight or whatever, she's like, Dad, you smell terrible. You smell like and, a skunk. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was just cleaning the barbecue. Yeah, Dad's always and, cleaning the barbecue, and that's—it's not gonna work anymore. Nah, it's she's getting too smart. So I don't know. Maybe I'll start vaping. Maybe you start. Yeah, there you go. Ugh. Well, that's uh, you know what? I think that is that is more fantastical uh, than I expected. I thought it was from my perspective, like from looking at it when I thought. That maybe you know is you know your your thing you were doing with your friends and whatnot, but you really went out there. You were really traveling around and doing this and and trying to uh, get into like and really, I don't know, make something of this campy, funny, uh, sort of avant garde kind of out there thing, which is it was fucking awesome, man. That's yeah, it's, like, it's not what I expected at all either. No. I expected uh, you know a guy that was kind of taking pot shots from like a blog, and kind of you know he was a little bit more artsy craftsy -er than the regular blogger and he did a few videos or whatever but yeah no i depth that that resume right there far surpassed what i what i was expecting from speef narco speef narco but here there's some grander plan of a of a whole of an of a, of a whole religion tied to this thing <laughs> i didn't even i love what you guys are doing uh podcasts are super fun yeah man i think they're genius I love it. It's it's bringing back radio to like to the time of having it be like instead of drive time, like hey, welcome back to Bubba, blah, 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 like that kind of bullshit, but like actual, yeah. you know what, uh, um, like journalistic kind of stories or entertaining stories, like so, somebody just telling a story. Like I'm I'm waiting for the podcast to come back where it's gonna be like uh, shit. What was it like? What was the high hoso or the Something rider, the Lone Ranger. Uh -huh. Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. Something like Lone Ranger, you know, where somebody's yeah. actually just they write a story out like it's an episode, and you show up every week to them reading the script, and then they have the, the full horse blocks. The yeah, horse the whole, you know, doing the whole thing. Like, I, that I'm not coming back. Yes, it is, dude. I guarantee it's coming back. And you know why it's coming back? Because we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. So, well, hell yeah, man. Thank you very much for for joining us and for talking to us. This was uh, great, man. Thank you for coming nice, on. Yeah, nice meeting you, David, man. Yeah, that was awesome. I uh, it was uh, the pleasure was all mine, indeed, sir. Indeed, so, indeed, sir. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. <laughs> so, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Road Soda, episode seventy-eight. Be sure to watch Larry Charles' Dangerous World of Comedy for the Millennial Book Club assignment that will be discussed on episode 79. Email us your reviews to roadsodamail at gmail.com and we can read them on the air. You can be a part of the conversation. Also, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a podcast review. Let's start trying to churn up, create some buzz out there. You know what I'm saying? And also... Follow us every everywhere at Road Soda Podcast. Everywhere at Road Soda Podcast. We will see you on the next one. Have a good week.